0: Hi, this is Chad Dull, and welcome to my Poverty Informed podcast. Uh, Today I'd like to share something I wrote last September, uh, talking about uh, my interest in and sometimes obsession with the power of language. Uh, The longer I work with people trying to come out of the crisis of poverty or try to help people understand what it's like to work with people, I'm more and more convinced that the words we choose are really important. Uh, Not only are they important when we're trying to explain concepts to people to help them be more poverty-informed, but they're really important in how we talk about the people we serve. Uh, There's probably another article to be written about nonverbal communication with the people we serve, but one of the things uh, over my time thinking about these issues uh, that has presented itself is this idea that the way we talk matters and the way we talk inside our organizations matters and starts to reveal our underlying assumptions about things. Uh, So today I'd like to share with you an article called Poverty-Informed Practice in Higher Education, Things I Don't Say Anymore. Poverty has been a lifelong interest based on personal circumstance and experience. It has been a professional focus since about 2005 when I reread Dr. Ruby Payne's book called A Framework for Understanding Poverty. I had read the book in college about eight years prior, and it didn't really land home for me. But this time when I read it, I could see elements of my family's story in it. Now I know Dr. Payne has her critics, as we all do, but it was a great doorway into this octopus of an issue called poverty. I often tell my training groups that that book is a framework, not the framework. And in the years after, I broadened my background and found other ways of looking at the issue as well. But I'm grateful for that first experience and the new way of looking at the world. Because once you see certain things, you can't unsee them. One of the consequences of my own personal learning is I've discarded some insidious use of language that I hear elsewhere all the time. I'd like to share a little bit about what I don't say anymore, and why I think it matters for being poverty informed. I cannot stand the way we use the expression skin in the game. And apparently I'm not alone as I looked on the internet and found articles calling it uh, the most worn out and inappropriate cliche ever. I'll leave you to your Google to find that. Unfortunately, I feel like the way I look at that expression puts me in the minority. The phrase gets tossed around easily at my institution and I'm sure at others. Skin in the game is a glib way of saying people only value things they pay for. However, when you look at that phrase through a poverty-informed lens, you see just how judgmental it is. That phrase is usually used to justify putting up some barrier for people before they can access help. That phrase is based on an absolutely false assumption, and it implies that paying for something is the only way to be invested. What a privileged point of view that is. Our students sacrifice endlessly to be here. They sacrifice their time, their work, their relationships, and on top of it all, they manage complicated lives. Often it can be an act of courage just to cross our threshold. And then we have the nerve to question their skin in the game. It is the height of arrogance and the opposite of poverty informed. Another expression that I haven't uttered in eight years other than to talk about it in training is the ubiquitous common sense. Every time you hear this little gem, please think common to whom? In my experience, the declaration of common sense is just a way of establishing in and out groups. Uh, To use framework from that earlier book, common sense is usually just a set of hidden rules that exclude people and prevent them from making the connections they need to succeed. I often hear the expression common sense used when people don't behave the way we expect them to, particularly in early conversations on campus. And when people violate our hidden rules, which are, of course, just common sense, we often assume they aren't very smart or aren't ready yet. The implications of being ready, well, that's a topic for another time. Common sense is often just a set of biases we've agreed on in a social group, and common sense should be questioned every time it comes up, in my opinion. Imagine for a moment that those of us who live in the middle class had to navigate our students' lives for a week. Do you think our ignorance of their hidden rules might stick out like a sore thumb, and we might appear less capable and intelligent than we believe ourselves to be? Poverty-informed practice begins with mutual respect. And part of that is understanding that common sense is usually just a set of silently agreed-upon rules that we have decided are right. The last concept I have tried to dismiss as I've grown and learned is the concept of deserves. Now, this is less a term that I hear and more of an assumption that underlies so much of what we do for one another. We spend so much energy and resources trying to figure out who we should help and who deserves it, when in reality, everyone needs help sometimes. You can see deserves in the way financial aid is calculated and distributed. Think of the resources allocated to following rules so no one gets money who shouldn't. Couldn't those resources be put to use helping people instead of sorting people? Deserves is in deep and shows up everywhere. I've fallen victim to it myself, even with the best of intentions, and I've written about that before when I talked about the evolution of our emergency fund. I think the idea of our intentions is important and it needs to be examined regularly. How many programs for the underserved do we see that do just barely enough and then expect gratitude? That's infused with a concept of what people deserve, and it's dangerous. A perception of scarcity drives this conversation and it is not based in reality. In a workshop with Dr. Donna Beagle, I heard her say Americans spend nearly $1 billion annually on fireworks for the 4th of July. We have plenty. Why do we waste resources and effort defining some false line of who deserves help? Wouldn't you rather err on the side of helping? So as I said, language matters and these are just three examples of how I have adjusted my own language personally and in my training to help people be more poverty informed. In my world of higher education, we are often meeting people after lifetimes of being told they don't deserve and they are a drain on the system, when in reality most of us are about two bad breaks from being right where they are. When you start with that perspective, and acknowledge your own luck and privilege I doubt you will ever refer to it's just common sense again. When you remember the effort courage and yes sometimes heroism it takes for students from poverty to come to us and trust us you won't ever talk about skin in the game again. And when you look behind well-intended programs and see well-intended machinery that simply sorts out who deserves and who doesn't I hope you will build new structures that make help the default. I hope you will build systems founded on respect and relationships and that honor our students. That is our vision of poverty-informed practice.